the reason why I tell that story is because I want to see, like, I want people to legitimately know how, like, from A to Z, how I went from, like, you know, just a simple house hack to partnering with someone on, like, a luxury Airbnb at a such expensive price point was it was just playing on persistence. I was just going to make it happen. I never, like, had a thought where I was like, man, like, maybe I need to look into buying, like, a, another house hack next year. I was like, I'm going to do this thing. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have on Jabbar Adesada, who is a young real estate investor who makes me feel like I'm standing still. But before we get to his story, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Well, Cody, this weekend was another weekend of kind of staying around local, seeing some friends and family and getting some projects done because, again, we're going to be gone almost like all of the month of March, a big chunk of the, uh, even February. So we're going to be gone like six out of the next eight weeks. So we just decided to kind of keep it around local. We had a friend who had a Shrek themed birthday party. So um, <laughs> used some of my new wood tools to, to make a custom sword to be Puss in Boots. So that was that was great. Did some work on the gym, hung a TV, put up a pull-up bar. Also kind of found a guy who's been getting in these giant crates and pallets and stuff. And so I went and I just kind of tore one of the giant crates down into like usable pieces. And I'm taking the plywood and putting it up in my attic to make it so that, you know, to give it kind of a floor so we can do some storage. And I also uh, did my first kind of higher level electrical work on the house. So we had an outlet that was never working took me a while to, to figure out what was wrong with it. Ended up needing to reconnect some stuff up in the attic. Shout out to our buddy Tinian, Captain DIY, if you've never uh, come across him for let me bounce some electrical work off of him. How about you, Cody? Sounds like you had a fun-filled home project weekend. Definitely interested in seeing not only the picture of you as Puss in Boots with your wooden <laughs> sword, but some of these woodworking projects. It sounds like you're, you're starting to get busy with that and it's becoming a hobby, maybe a side hustle in the future. Who knows? But this past weekend, I had another ski weekend, so went up to Smuggler's Notch Resort, which is in kind of northern Vermont. It's like three and a half, four-hour drive from Central Mass. It's a trip. It's a great I've name. Been... <laughs> it's a great name for a resort. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a trip we've been doing for, I think, seven or eight years at this point. Me and three of my buddies, we've just been doing this guy's trip. I think we started when we were like 16, 17, 18. I don't even remember exactly when it started. We've been doing it for a long time now. It's this nice little mountain. It has a little you know, hangout bars and area. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. So the conditions were really good. We actually got absolutely dumped on in central mass. We got 18 inches at where I'm recording this from. Unfortunately, we didn't get the same type of snowfall up in Northern Vermont. It was only like four inches, but it was still really good conditions. It was nice powder. It wasn't really icy or anything like that. So another ski weekend in the books, but next week I'm going to be checking in from somewhere much warmer when I'm spending a week in Aruba. So looking forward to kind of going from negative so actually at the top of the mountain they had a sign it was like frostbite warning with wind chill it was negative 35 to negative 40 degrees and Oof. people can't see me right now but i have like wind burn on my face from you know going fast down the mountain in negative 40 degree weather so i am really excited to hop into 80 degrees next week but justin that's enough from us let's take a quick moment for our partner keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence if you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. 
If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. All right. So today on The Five Show, we have on Jabbar Adesada, 20-year-old real estate investor whose journey just started so young. I am usually someone who's young in this space for financial independence and just getting my journey started. Jabbar seriously makes me feel like I'm behind. <laughs> he had a goal of retiring by 21 or at least hitting financial independence by 21. And at the end of the episode, you'll have to listen to the full thing to get all the details. He said he's going to hit it this year while he's 20. Gets into house hacking, then starts to team up with some other investors to do some short-term rentals and Airbnbs, and he's just continuing to grow and build and learn and start an empire at such a young age. I love this story. It's super inspiring for anyone out there who's you know in their teens or someone who has teen kids. I just think seeing Jabbar's story and what's possible coming from where he came from and the knowledge that he had as a basis, I really love this one, Justin. Yeah. And Jabbar just shows you like when you take like commitment and just going for it and kind of mix those two things together. Obviously, when you're, you know, younger, you probably have a little more fearlessness than somebody who's a little older and seen some things, but it's worked out great for him. And also all that work and stuff that he's put in. It's that one of those classic stories of like where preparation meets opportunity is like, that's what luck is, you know, like he has these situations where he finds an investor just like, not even realizing that he's talking to someone who may be an investor. You'll have to listen to the full episode to kind of hear that story, but it's a great one. And there's just tons of that where Jabbar just keeps going, doesn't give up, just goes for it. And it's worked out great for him. So like Cody said, if if you're a younger person, know someone who's younger, looking for some inspiration, or maybe you've just been thinking about real estate, whether it be a house hack or an Airbnb, any of that kind of stuff, or you know someone who is interested in something like that, then you can grab that information and share that with a friend with our show notes link over at thefyshow.com slash Jabbar. That's thefyshow.com slash J-A-B-B-A-R. Take it away, Jabbar. I guess I have to say it really kind of goes back, I have to say, to when I kind of first joined the military. So even before that, so I had like plenty of seeds planted throughout the duration of my life. But when I was, I would say like 15, basketball was everything for me, right? I was like Kobe Bryant, Mamba mentality, waking up zero five to eight, going to gym practicing, nine to 11, going to gym practicing, and then like three to six, again, like for after school practice. And like, I would just grind, 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 and basketball is my everything. But I never like made any teams like I got cut my freshman year of high school from junior varsity not even varsity I got cut my sophomore year of junior varsity again moved schools moved to Texas and I actually made the varsity team but rode the bench like I never stepped foot on the court one time and so when I was 15 that's when my dad he just brought me to his room 
and he got both of my basketballs. And these were my prized possessions. And he pops both of them, like in front of my eyes. It's like he basically just spit on my existence. And then he handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was a book that my pastor had given us to read in church and write a book report on it. And I refused to do either of those things because it had nothing to do with basketball. And I guess that kind of started the journey. But yeah, I mean, I, I did nothing with it then because I was 15. But then I guess that was kind of like the beginning of everything at that point. Because when I was in the military, I go to boot camp, spend all my money right after boot camp like every other 18-year-old. Then I would go to combat training and then I just see something magnificent. And it was like a guy, this guy named Phil, he hosted me for the holidays. And he was already financially free. And you could, it was apparent. Like the dude was the type to like come home from work and say, hey, to one of his kids, like we're going to Paris for the weekend. Like, like, let's go. Or he's the type to go scuba diving in the morning and then skydiving in the afternoon. Just super happy family, super beautiful life. And I was like, wow, well, what do those people do? And, you know, you get to talk to these people. And he gave me the book when I was 18. I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi and then Automatic Millionaire by David Back. And I would like to say then the journey began because everything started to click for me and I became the cheapest Marine in the world. That's kind of like the beginning of my story. And and that's the fastest I've ever told it. So I'm proud of that. (laughs) Well, when your dad hands you this book, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was it simply just because it happened to be a book that your church, you know, asked you to read and do a book report on and you didn't do it? Or was it because like he was in real estate or he believed in this? Like. It's just not a book that a lot of parents hand to their kid, especially a teenager. So I didn't know if you knew why he chose to give you that book. My dad's not in real estate. They're not rich dad, to say the least. <laughs> so <laughs> it was primarily just an obedience type of lesson. Like, hey, the pastor gives you an assignment to read. And I'm Nigerian American. So when the pastor gives you like something to do and you don't do it, like that's just a huge like dishonor on your family, you know? <laughs> so it was one of those books that I felt like it was coincidental. He'll probably tell you no, he knew all along. But my dad's by no way like into like investing yet. I'm I'm gonna get him there. He's gonna get in the game. So I've seen you call yourself the Nigerian nightmare <laughs> on Instagram. Have you? <laughs> I have. I, I did a lot of stalking on your Instagram. Kamar Usman. <laughs> when did you start to, you know, put this stuff into play? When did you start to get that hustler, that personal finance persona, that real estate go-getter? Dude. Oh my God. That's so, f- I'm literally like excited because everyone at work, the story behind the Nigerian nightmare in the Marine Corps, you're not allowed to pick your call sign, but I'm like, no, I'm going to be the first one to do it. So I self call myself the Nigerian nightmare and everyone hates it. So I'm oh man, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow. But that came like after meeting Phil. Right. So like I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've now read two other finance books and I've seen the results of that, like exercising those things in Phil's life. So after seeing that, I was like, wow. OK, so. All this money that I'm making, and you know, I'm a single Marine, $1,500 a month, right? I'm throwing all of it into the stock market, like I full sent. And so this is January of 2020. I'm literally putting everything in there. Like 
I'm learning. I'm like, hey, if I lose it, price of education, right? I didn't go to college, so this is the next best thing. So I was just throwing all my money into like individual stocks, like your Teslas and whatever, because I desperately wanted to be like Phil, but I wanted to do it earlier. Because when you read those books, right, they never really say if you start at 18. They usually say when you start at like 20 or 25 or even sometimes 30. So my thought process was, wait, I'm only 18. So if I do all these things they're telling like the 20 and 25 year olds to do, and I started at 18, I'll be like much further ahead. And maybe by the time I'm somewhere in my 20s or 30s, like I'll be rich, right? That was the mindset then. So I mean, doing that, I started investing in stocks and I was, and like I said, I was cheap. Like I probably spent like 25 or 30 or 50 bucks, like at the max for several months. Cause I was just investing everything. And I could do that cause I'm in training and all I had was a cell phone bill and I, everything else is taken care of by the military. And so from then, March of 2020, we all know what happened. Stock market crashes like crazy. And so I see that and I've put in money for two months before, but then like, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's on freaking sale right now. Like this is the opportunity of the lifetime. Cause by now, like I'm reading like the CNBC articles and I, so I know who Warren Buffett is. I know who all the big guys are who are like, you know, crazy rich. And you know, the old saying when other people are, I would say, what is it? When other people are fearful, that's when you get greedy. That was March of 2020 and April of 2020. So, I mean, I was literally begging people to like take their paychecks and like, like invest it. And then I'd give them like two of my paychecks at a later time. Cause I just was like, this is a once a lifetime opportunity. Cause Amazon's not fundamentally different because of coronavirus or Apple's not fundamentally different. I didn't know much, but I knew that stocks were high and now they're low. So why was so high? I had a very basic understanding of everything. And so um, transition. So fast forward a little bit. This is now July of 2020 and I'm still on the same grind. But then that's when the stuff starts to rebound. So then my account goes from like the $8,000 I put in to like twenty five dollars or $30,000. It, it, Maybe, maybe it wasn't 30,000, but I would say 20 to $25,000. And the military, since I'd been in, like I'd been in for less than a year at that point, had only paid me $13,000 like ever. Like that was all the money I've ever been paid. So seeing that, I was like, wow, this investing stuff works. If I, you know, I, <laughs> this, it kind of made it real for me, right? Cause I was sacrificing, you know, I wasn't going out while I was seeing all my friends going out to town and having a good time and stuff. Like I'm literally taking people's duties, 24 hour duty posts for money, or I'm like writing people's essays. Like I'm that weird nerdy kid on the weekends and, you know, coming from like the athlete to the weird nerdy kid who just stays in his room and does nothing all the time, you know, it hits you differently. But just seeing the results of like the the hard work, right? It kind of like made me say, okay, like this is what I'm going to do. This is what works. And I'm going to go at this even harder now because like, if this is what I can do with like knowing nothing, starting from basically nothing to here, imagine what I can do, you know, as I start to learn more and get serious and things like, or get more serious on like the education aspect of things. So that is basically kind of like my journey from, I guess, when I first learned about investing to then. I'm a talker, so I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> keep on going. I know you guys might have questions, but yeah, I'm excited to keep on going. 
Well, you threw out there like, hey, this is the price of basically tuition. Like I didn't go to college. So, you know, if I lose some money, I, I love that mentality. That's a very interesting way of thinking about it. But speaking of like not going to college and entering the Marine Corps, where did that fall in kind of this path where, where you're starting to meet other people that are kind of mentors and see this inspiration? And how did that factor into deciding to join the military or what factored into joining uh, the Marine Corps? After basketball, I forgot to say this is I wasn't allowed to play basketball. Like once he popped the basketballs, like he barred me from like going to practice and stuff. So at this point, I'm like, well, I don't want to be poor, or like a failure or anything. So and in our culture, in the Nigerian culture, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're an engineer or you're a disappointment. So I was like, huh, I don't want to be a disappointment. So I guess I'm going to choose being a doctor because, you know, that's what everyone wants me to do probably. So I changed my life around, I guess, in high school. I went from like this CD student to like an all A student because I was like, well, I mean, same grind. I'm going at basketball. I'm going to do trying to get a job, I guess. Then I realized, you know, you get to senior year and I'm like, man, medical doctors, they're in a lot of debt. I'm like, geez, it's 400 grand. $400,000? Like, I don't know what to do about this. And I'm not self-motivated like Cody to get a bunch of scholarships and stuff like that. So I was like, well, what is kind of the next best thing? And I was searching for it. And one day the man in dress blues, a United States Marine recruiter came in and he kind of pitched me. And it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you'd walk up to him and you're like, you just want to learn. You don't, you're not committing or anything. And then he just sold me, like sold me, got me to sign the papers. And then I sold my life away. It was primarily for that reason, though, just like not being in hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, being a doctor. I mean, I'm glad I did it because then I would have never met Phil and made all the decisions and all that stuff. Now, I am going to preface this by saying I I went back and chose disappointment because now I'm not going to become a lawyer, doctor or engineer. But that was basically the rationale there. I tell a lot of bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I know Justin could probably speak to this more personally than I can, but from the people we've had on and the friends that I have in the military, I know that what you're doing is totally atypical. Like most dudes who get in the military, they might buy the nice car. They're going out, they're getting tattoos, going out to dinner and the bars all the time. And you said you're the weird guy sitting back, taking people's duties and writing papers for money. From a mindset perspective, like how do you cope with that? How do you kind of explain to people what you're doing and not succumb to the peer pressure of, hey, let's go hit this bar or hey, let's go do this fun thing for this weekend? I'm used to like being weird. I've never been like the normal type of guy. Like, I mean, with basketball, it was no different. Everyone of my friends, maybe let's say they were hanging out like after school instead of practicing. And I went to go and practice. So that mentality, I would say primarily stems for that. It's like, I've always been like, I need something to do. I don't understand how people can like watch Netflix after work or school or anything, like just all the time. I did that at one point and it drove me nuts. I would say it just, it's just like that burning desire to be successful because in the beginning of my life, and I share this often, is I was actually told like I would never amount to anything, right? I was told I was going to be a failure. I was told like by my family um, I was living with at the time. And I was told that like, there is no way that I would be successful. So I guess like that mentality of like, no, you're wrong. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. Kind of combined with like this, I guess, obsession mentality, you know, you get from Kobe is 
what made it easier for me to do something different when everyone else is doing something else. Because everyone thought I was crazy. Now less people think I'm crazy, but uh, <laughs> it is definitely, I think, part of it. Like, right, you guys experienced that too, I'm sure, when you're at the beginning of your journeys as well. So I feel like it happens to everyone. Yeah, 100%. I think everyone in this space gets told that they're crazy. I mean, it's not something that everyone's doing. It's not normal. But you know, you were talking about something that's really crazy is when you were mentioning, hey, I was only spending like 25, 50 bucks a month. Because like you said, you're in training. They're taking care of everything. What does life look like a little bit more today as far as like expenses and your setup? Like, are you living on base? I'm sure you're not in training anymore. So like, what, what's kind of like a normal month look like for you now? In terms of like spending? Spending, your, your, your lifestyle, your housing situation. What's all like, how okay. much of it is just the government taking care of it and how much, you know what I mean? Like, cause yes, uh, for those who aren't familiar with military, like you get allowance for housing, but you can spend that money on anything unless you're living on base. And so that's kind of why I was curious, like what your setup is. Yeah. So I'm still a single Marine, so I don't get paid for housing or anything. Like I have a barracks room, but I don't live in it. I actually bought a house hack, right? Because that's like the next financial savvy thing to do. I bought a five bedroom, four bathroom house with my VA loan as like a single E3 with no BH. Everyone went crazy over that one because <laughs> it's just not a normal thing to do, I guess. And I'm house hacking that. And Craig Curlop, I think you guys had him on your show. Mm -hmm. When he first was house hacking, he was sleeping on a futon and Airbnb out the master bedroom. So in the military, right, my barracks room, I like stand up, I turn and I could smell my roommate's breath every <laughs> single morning when I wake up. So when I finally bought my property, I was like, man, instead of me like living in a bedroom that I can rent out for $750 a month, why not just do what Craig Kerlock did? I mean, he's not even military, you know, nothing against him and do the same thing. And I'm younger and sleep on a futon. And I would argue the futon's more comfortable than my bedroom room because I don't wake up and smell someone's breath every time I wake up and I have a kitchen and all that stuff. And then in terms of spending, I definitely spend more than $50 a month. You know, I have car insurance, which is a crime how much they charge young people. <laughs> I mean, obviously I have mortgages because I have some property. And I mean, for the most part, I try to do like the save first method. So I allocate probably 80% of my income towards like saving an investment and the rest of it. If it's in my account, I'll probably use to, I have fun. Like I'll go travel to a real estate conference. That's my version of fun. <sighs> I mean, I went skydiving or I'll go out to eat at a nice restaurant probably take an investor out. So it's a tax write off, but you know, like different things like that. I'm still very frugal, but by me like investing, I mean, I make more money from investments now than my military income, which is both great and sad. <laughs> so Jabbar, before we take a deep dive into this, can we backpedal quickly? When did real estate come into the picture? You were this stock dude investing in Tesla and Apple and all these companies that you knew that the fundamentals were still good after the coronavirus dip. But when did real estate come into the mix? Yeah. So as I started doing that education I was talking about, I realized like, hey, like you're really supposed to be investing in index funds, you know, to get to early retirement. Because just like I could get like these crazy, you know, 10x returns or whatever it was, I can also lose money too. So like researching that and every single sign kind of was pointed to like, hey, you got to go this index fund route. 
because eventually like you'll lose, you know? So I would do like these compound interest calculators to see when will I be a millionaire? And I was like, man, if I do this, go this index fund route, it's going to take me to I'm like 32 or 34. I'm like, that's old, you know, <laughs> you know 18 year old Jabbar. And I'm like, that's a really long time. You know, I'm, I'm going to get there faster. I see other people who are getting there faster, like you guys, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to wait that long. Like, how are they doing it? So that's when I started like doing research. I'm like turning my lens to like people who are in their 20s and financially free. And then plus, like you do like the 4% rule on like a million dollars, you realize it's only like $40,000. So it's like now I'm waiting 20 years to get $40,000. And at that point, I'm not financially free still because of inflation, lifestyle, like expenses add up and you know, you got family and all that stuff. So it's cool to have all that equity there. But I mean, that was the mentality here. So then when I'm starting to actively seek out like ways to just fat turbocharge, you know, the financial freedom journey a little bit, you know, I'm in one of these group chats for stocks and there's like a real estate section and I go in there. I'm like, Hey guys, like I'm looking to get into real estate. Anyone have any advice? And God bless the person who recommended bigger pockets because he recommended it. And usually I'll click on leaks and stuff like that. I just clicked it because it's, it looked legit. And I listened to Todd Baldwin's episode and he was like talking about how he's 25, making hundreds of thousands of dollars, house hacking, millionaire. And I'm like, oh, shoot, like I need to try and figure that out. And then in one of the podcasts I listened to, it says start from episode one and go all the way up. <laughs> and so that's what I did. So I went to episode one of the BP podcast, the OG Bigger Pockets podcast, and I went all the way up to where they are. I've listened to every single episode today. I listened to all the rookie podcasts. I listened to some of the money podcasts. I listened to a business podcast. And then I started reading books. I started reading finance books. And then I think the best thing I did was I didn't stop there. Like in the education phase, I started reaching out to people who are actively in real estate and like looking for their advice on like how I can kind of do this myself. And then all I had really was like this capital, right, from being frugal and investing. But I knew I was like, well, this is a down payment on a hundred thousand dollar place. Right. So I gave myself this arbitrary deadline that in six months, from when I found out about real estate investing, I was going to buy a property. So went through this vigorous process of trying to get approved for the loan and all that, which I can talk more about. I ended up doing it in five months, which best decision I've ever made in my life. I mean, I'm also a little curious. I know with a, with a VA loan, generally, you don't have to have any money down. You can buy a very expensive property, which can be it's an amazing tool, but I can also see it being dangerous where, you know, you, you've got this huge thing that you can buy with no money down. So there's like very little risk. I say little risk. There's a little skin in the game. But as somebody who's like 18 years old going to buy a place, was the process that simple because it was a VA back loan? Or did you have a, a lot of <laughs> hurdles you had to hop through because you had like no credit history? Dude, yeah. You, so you hit it right on the head. I had no credit history. I didn't have like the two years of W-2s and like I was making $18,000 a year. So I'm calling these banks, like trying to get approved for a loan. And like, they're all like looking at my application and like, they're just like, no. So I called 13 different banks and all of them told me no. Like all 13, it was like a flat out no. And I'm like arguing with the guys and I'm like, hey, like there has to be a way. And one dude, he told me, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like there is no way, impossible. Like you need to make more money. <laughs> you need a credit score and you need to wait to have W-2 income. And so... What ended up happening is like, okay, on, on the 13th bank I called, I lied. I actually got a maybe 
And so that maybe led me to say, okay, so I knew what questions to ask now at this point. And then I started reading like the VA guidelines, the FHA guidelines, and like learning more about like the loan process and underwriting and things like that. So I called a total of 19 banks. And at this point, I go back to that 13th bank who had told me maybe, and that I figured out what I needed to do. And the plan was actually to get a non-owner occupant co-borrower. So basically with that, I'm able to add someone to my loan application who does qualify for the loan, like basically, right? I couldn't use my VA to do that because you can't, it has to be another service member or a spouse of a service member. The plan was to use an FHA loan, three and a half percent down, get like a close friend or family member to co-borrow with me. And I was going to attack it like that. So the loan officer was like, great. So you get that person and we can make this happen. So now I'm on this journey of just keep in mind, everyone thinks I'm nuts, right? Talking to everyone in my family, every single one of my, yeah, just basically everyone in my family at first to see like, who will please, please, please like co-borrow with me on this loan. And I had a good amount of education because I talked about the work I put in. It's like understanding this, but I couldn't get what I had in here into their heads. So all of them told me no. All my family members told me no. I thought I was screwed. So then I was like, let me start calling some Marines, right? Who might be eligible. So I started calling Marines and like the first three of them were like, yeah, sure, dude. Like, let's go for it. And, you know, obviously I was giving them some benefits, so they're going to get something out of it. I was going to pay them to do it. But then the loan officer actually calls me back because luckily, this is luck here, my sixth payment, like to establish like that six month credit score history finally like hit like that week. So it's like, hey, you finally have a credit score. And I had a 750. I don't know how that works. I got a secure credit card and just paid the thing off every month. And he said, if I put 5% down, I'd be able to qualify for like the loan amount that I was looking for. Because I had an idea of like what I needed to qualify for to make it work. And so those were the hurdles. But in the two years of W-2s, it's because I have a contract, you know, saying, hey, this guy's signed to us. He sold his soul to us for five years. We're going to pay him if he's not bad. And they use that. And they say, he said, yeah, so you have employment for five years. So you don't need to worry about two years of W-2s. Your credit score is great, even though there's not much history. And if you put 5% down, then you qualify for the loan amount. So I did that because the numbers made sense. And I bought this $246,000 four bedroom, four bath, single family home in Savannah, Georgia. My plan at the time was just to rent out each room and I owned it myself. So I was really excited. And then that week I closed on the property the military calls me and they say, hey, we're sending you on a field exercise in the middle of nowhere to Yuma, Arizona, on the other side of the country. So you need to get all your affairs in order. Make sure you sign like in a power of attorney because you might not have Internet. <laughs> then I had to <laughs> like it just doesn't get better for me. I was like, there is no way like I'm going to pay my own mortgage because I didn't buy it to pay my own mortgage. I bought it so other people could pay my mortgage. And I basically created this system. I've never done it before, but created like this how to rent out a bedroom for Marines, like for dummies, basically, like just checklist. I mean, I had it down to like the, what's the word? The clothing that I wanted to do to wear. And then I got one of my buddies to do it. And by the time I came back from that field exercise, I had five random people living in my house, but they were also all paying me $3,800 month in rent when my mortgage is only like 
1200 bucks. So it ends up being a great first deal for me. And I can go into numbers specifically. So I was all in $22,000 between putting 5% down, furnishing, and then creating this non-conforming bedroom, fifth bedroom. I say that I cash flow between $1,300 and $1,500 a month, a little bit more than that, but you put away for CapEx and reserves and stuff like that. And it's appreciated a bunch (laughs) right now. So it was a great deal. And it got me thinking like, okay, now this is going to get me to financial freedom way faster. I need to focus on this. So yeah, that's kind (laughs) of how the first deal happened in the transition into real estate. So this guy who shows the property for you, one, I mean, how did you convince this? It sounds like this person had zero experience whatsoever. Like you wrote down to the clothes that he was going to wear showing the property. And then I guess for the people who are trying to replicate this process, like what was in it for him? Why did he say yes to this? Well, so I gave him commission. Granted, he probably should have charged me more or he could have asked for more. But what doesn't hurt you makes you stronger. (laughs) I think it was like 250 bucks per tenant. So every tenant he got in the room, he was making 250 bucks and he was also getting out the Marine Corps. So his income was about to go from sergeant's pay to zero. So that's a little bit more incentive. And that's why he was able to do that. He didn't go to the exercise. And then, yeah, I mean, he had no experience, but in the military, a lot of the times we get these like really stupid plans that we have to kind of carry out some sort of execution on. So him being military, I'm sure helped because I'm sure he didn't wear most of the stuff. I mean, he wasn't wearing khakis. I told him to wear khakis. He was <laughs> smiling after every, I was like telling him like in like the notes, like to smile and stuff like that. So I'm sure he, he ignored half of that stuff, but he did it. You know, he, all the leases were signed. Um, I gave him the power of attorney just to sign the leases and things like that. It could have went awfully wrong and I could have had dangerous criminals, but I went through like the background check process. It's very detailed, <laughs> very detailed. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I think, uh, especially with real estate, I mean, also with stocks, but especially real estate, a lot of times what's holding people back is just this fear of like the worst thing that could go on. Like I buy the house the next day, the roof falls in, the tenants tear through the place and leave it, whatever. But I like how, you know, you didn't let those things, the, the what ifs, the coulda, you know, things stop you. And you just come up with this really creative plan to get this done, going into a little bit more of the details, like what about leases? Like, is that something, because it sounded like you had kind of a quick turn where you had to kind of leave town. Or did you put a lot of thought into like how you wrote these leases up to where you felt protected? I mean, it's your first real estate deal. You're about to put four strangers into your house and turn the keys five. over to them, or five, without you even being there. What kind of steps did you take to make yourself feel comfortable? Yeah, so, and this is actually repeatable. That's actually a really great question is I was networking my butt off. I was like talking to people who had already house hacked, like Craig Curlop, he wrote the house hacking strategy. I'd ask him questions. I asked uh, Grace questions. Todd Baldwin, like, I mean, most of my lease comes from him because he actually has a lease for renting out by the bedroom on his YouTube channel. Don't mean to plug there, but it's a really good resource. I literally like had, I mean, they're not lawyers, but I mean, they had some type of law experience. I had several people look over my lease. Like their reaction was like, I would never live here because like there's so many rules. My lease is, I would say tight because I use the experience of other people who have done this several times. So I felt comfortable. I was like, I'm not leveraging my own experience here. I'm leveraging the experience of others who have gone before me. And that's another thing that I love about real estate. And I'm just copy and pasting. 
the name of the game is plagiarism, baby. <laughs> so that's why I felt so comfortable. I was like, well, he's doing it. He's successful. He hasn't screwed this up. So, I mean, even like the best case scenario is I do like half as good as he did. And I was like, I'm okay with that situation there. So that's why I was super comfortable with it. And like most of my tenants have been pretty good. We've been living together for a year. I have like multiple people who are prior military. So that makes it a lot easier because I'm sure they've lived in the barracks before. So they're used to like that co-living space. And then the other two, my rents are not low. They're high for the area. I mean, they make six figures. So I think they have a little bit more to lose than I do. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. So we got all that checked out. Leases, check. You furnished the place, check. The last part is like actually finding people to go in that property. What were you using for marketing strategies? Like how are you getting eyes for your buddy to actually tour the place? So Facebook groups are usually good. For me, it wasn't that great. Facebook marketplace, you get like thousands of people, I'd say hundreds of people at least like actually reaching out to you. But most of them are tire kickers. At least that's the case in my market. But at least it's a bunch of eyes. Right. And then roomies.com, I'd say, is where I got the most success. It's a site where people are literally looking to rent, like live with roommates. Most of them are looking to rent a bedroom. It's not like people are asking me oh, a whole entire house for $750 in this area? Like, no, dude, read the description. But the people on Roomie, (laughs) they're like literally there to rent a room. And that's where I get my best tenants, I'd say. And then there's like Furnish Finder. If you have a furnished bedroom, put the thing on Airbnb. But the things I leveraged the most were Facebook, Marketplace, and then that site called Roomie. And if it would have failed, I would have been calling like the local employers in my market and trying to get on like that housing chain. So whenever someone goes to work there, they can call me and I have like a room for rent, things like that. So that would have been the third option if that would have failed. And then marketing the property, I like made it all my requirements are in there. So it scares off like the people who don't qualify, like no evictions, three times rent, all the like basic stuff. I put as much detail in there as possible. That's, I guess, what helped with me getting people in. And this type of house hacking is like the ultimate real estate gateway drug. Like it's definitely the best way it seems to like get started, low risk. What's kind of next after that though? Like you've done that one. Normally, not everyone's going to do like multiple of these type of house hacks. They're going to move on to a different type, either just a normal, you know, maybe they're getting a quadplex or living in one part. Maybe they're doing a short-term rental. What'd you do next? My next investment was actually like a short-term rental. I want to clarify, like I spent $22,000. I maybe had 35. I have more money than that now. (laughs) But I knew I wanted to get into another real estate deal. And I knew that I didn't want to make $100, $200 a month. This thing is a money printer. Even though like my cash flow is $1,300 to $1,500 a month, like $2,000 is just coming into my check, into like my business bank account every single month. That's more than, you know, the Marine Corps is literally paying me. So I'm like, holy smokes, like this is awesome. And I don't want to settle for less again, but I also don't have that much money. And my debt to income ratio is screwed. Like there's no way I'm qualifying for another loan. I met this one guy and the reason why short-term rentals is because I meet this one guy and I'm not going to share too much detail because he wouldn't want me to, but let's just say he was telling me about his three Smoky Mountain cabins that are netting six figures and now he has six and it's multiple six figures on like just six assets. So I feel like for new investors, especially it's hard, like Brandon Turner, his advice is usually like, He's looking for like a 12% cash on cash return, $100 per door. 
And then you like do the math on that. You're like, God, Lee, I'm going to need a lot of transactions to get to financial freedom. But then like when you see like when I saw this, I'm like, wait, that was three transactions. That's financial freedom for me, you know, 150 grand. And then six. Now you're at like super fat five. Like, come on, like I need to do this thing. So the same process with learning just real estate in general, I applied strictly for short term rentals. So I was on the podcast, reading the books. I mean, I didn't pay for anything, but I was leveraging other people who had paid for information because, you know, it's easier when you're young, especially people want to help you. And I'm networking with people like crazy who would help me who are in the short term rental space. So then I was like, okay, now I have all this information and I was analyzing, I've like analyzed over a thousand deals. And the only reason I know that is because the bigger pockets calculator, like it was like, congratulations, you've analyzed a thousand deals. I was like, oh gosh, (laughs) I need to get off my computer. It's like the gamify system. So that now I'm like, I'm confident. I'm like, all right, I, this is the value that I bring to the table. I have experience. Like, cause you know, in real estate, you need three things really. You need time, you need money and you need experience. But the wonderful thing about real estate is you really only need like half of one of those things. You really don't need all of them. So like, I was like, well, I have time, sort of. I'm as educated as I can be, right? I'm not, and I'm not like the one to be stuck in analysis paralysis. So how can I buy like a, a vacation rental? So I looked at the same market that he was in, the Great Smoky Mountains. And that thing, I mean, it, it kind of hits you. You get hit with a uh, sticker price shock. Because cabins there are like $500,000, $600,000 for like a three bedroom. And now like a cabin is a three bedroom is like $700,000, $800,000. So it's very scary at first when you're looking at it. But I was like, all right, this is going to be the cash on cash returns that I was hearing of made sense. So I was like, okay, how can I do this? Like with what I have right now, how am I able to pull this off? So I was like, okay. I don't have money, so I need money, right? I have to find the money. I can't qualify for a loan, so I need that as well. How can I make those two people or those two items, obviously they're people, like come from the same thing? So now, you know, go to my family again. Hey guys, I've invested in real estate. It's going pretty well. Like I'm not crazy. See, it's working out. And of course, all of them tell me no. Because before, you know, $246,000 in debt, People can fathom that. But now you're talking about $600,000 real estate debt. I mean, they just see the the extra zeros at the end and they're like, heck no, it's like not happening. That's a half a million dollars. I'll die before that thing gets paid off. Come on. So (laughs) I was like, okay, my family obviously is not going to be able to help me. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this off abundance, right? That's like the common phrase in real estate. When people don't give you tactical advice, they say abundance. So it's like, all right, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to ask every single person like that I see. So every conversation I'm having, I'm shoving real estate down their throats. Like every person I talk to in the chow hall, real estate, chow hall lady, real estate, garbage man, real everybody. <laughs> everybody. And I'm, I'm serious here. Like I'm not joking at all. And I just practiced that. I told everyone I was a real estate investor. I told everyone what I was looking to do uh, further in real estate. I'm talking to my friends. I'm talking, I'm like, if I hear my friends, maybe they have a rich uncle or something. I'm like, hey, yeah, we should talk like blah, blah, blah. So uh, eventually, right after a couple months, it starts working out to where some of them, you know, they tell their family members. So I remember my first call, like doing the pitch, right? Like, hey, I'm this 19 year old kid at this time. I have no money. Um, I have a real estate deal, though. I have kind of experience. Uh, and I this is what I'm looking to do. Um, and I want you to basically, you know, you don't know me. And I'll, this is what it sounds like to them. I want us to buy like this 
um, half a million dollar asset together and we're going to split it 50-50. And so that was basically my first pitch. At least that's how I felt. She heard it. And I was so freaking nervous um, on the phone. Like my hands are shaking. And then like I just hung up the phone, <laughs> like mid-call, like on her because uh, my heart was beating out of my chest. Um, and just to let you guys know, she never gave me money or called me back. Uh, <laughs> at the end of it. Um, but what ended up happening was I got kind of like over that hurdle of rejection. So then I started, you know, I go through more calls and I'm doing this with more people and they're telling me no, they're telling me no. But now I'm kind of getting more comfortable, you know, asking people basically to partner. So the way I actually ended up finding the money, right, um, is kind of funny, is I'm like literally just still doing my thing. And then one of my friends lets my master sergeant know like, hey, Adesada, right? Because we go by last names, is looking to get um, into real estate. He needs money. And so like, I swear to God, this is not like usually how this is supposed to go. He goes, yeah, wow, you need money? I said, I'm like, I have tons of it. Like, you know, because he had multiple assets. Freakiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because keep in mind, um, for people who aren't in the military, like I have to ask permission with my hands behind my back to talk to this guy. You know, it's not like I'm we're buddy, buddy, we're close and I know him <laughs> or anything like that. Like, it's like, I don't know what would it be in like the reg, not the military, like your HR director or something is what comes to mind. It's like that same thing. Like he knows of me, but like he doesn't know me. You know, I'm shocked by him saying this. And so I'm like coming up with my mind on how to pitch him to do this thing. So he calls me to his office the next day. Keep in mind, I'm planning on doing this for like a week. I'm going to like plan out a better pitch because all the other ones have been failing. Can't miss out on this opportunity. He doesn't give me a week. He comes in the next day, pulls me into his office. He's like, so what are you looking to do? Like, what are you looking for? So then I'm like, oh, shoot. So I start up getting ready to pitch him. And he's like, dude, I don't want to hear any of that. He saw like how I kind of managed my property from when I was in the desert, because he was there as well, and like how I just overcame kind of all the hurdles that came in my way. And he was like, hey, like I like what you're doing, and I just want to invest in you. So speechless at this point, and I don't know what to say to him. And he goes, yeah, so like, what are you looking for? Like, what do you need? And so I gave him some terms, expecting him to negotiate. He's like, sounds good. Let me know when you need the money. I was like, and, and, dude, I, this is possible for everyone. I'm guessing like if you go out of your way to like put into like the universe and like just talk to as many people as possible of like the opportunity that you're looking to present to other people, it will find you. Because I did generally have a good opportunity for him. I just had to find him, but didn't even know to even try and find him. That's why you have to tell everyone, even though I probably wouldn't have been allowed to and but anyways, so that's kind of how it worked there. And then um, now I have the money, right? Because he gave me the money. And the terms were basically 10% interest-only payments with a five-year balloon. So if you do the math on like the capital stack from back there, that means you only need a 15% return on investment. And luckily, in the world of short-term rentals, that is super doable. Like that's on the lower side of things. And I was underwriting deals and I was like, man, if I'm wrong on half of these things, I'll still be able to pay him back. So now I have the money and now I need a partner. So now I'm going back to everyone with the same pitch again. I'm like, hey guys, I need money <laughs> or not. I need money. I need, you just need to sign the debt. Just guarantee the debt. I have the money. I'll take care of everything. You are literally going to have passive income for life, dude. Like, let's do this thing. And yeah, all rejection. I don't think I've successfully pitched anybody yet to this day. 
what ended up happening is this guy in my mastermind, because I'm in Sheik's Freaks, and you guys just had Dan on the podcast. Shout out, Dan. <laughs> but someone comes into the mastermind, and he's like, yeah, my name's such and such, and I'm doing Airbnbs currently. And so I'm like, hey, dude, like, let's connect, because you know I'm still in a networking phase. Like, I want to learn more. We get on the phone call, right? I'm not trying to pitch this guy. I'm literally legit just trying to meet him. And so it ends up that I start venting to him, I guess, when he's asking me, like, what I'm doing about, like, how I'm failing at pitching people on this opportunity. I'm like, this is such an amazing opportunity. I don't have any idea why no one's taking it. Like, what's going on here? Like, it was true frustration. And so at the end of my vent, he goes, yeah, dude, like, um, actually, that sounds like a great opportunity. I'd be interested. So then that was like the second, like, freak incident with that. So we ended up going down like the rabbit hole of, you know, figuring out how we wanted to structure agreements and terms and getting comfortable with each other. And we didn't make like an ambiguous partnership. Like we're going to buy a whole bunch of real estate together. We just said, Hey, we're going to buy a deal together. If it goes well, we'll buy more. If not, then we have our plan dissolution. We went through like the business plan of, you know, making these offers on these properties, lost a bunch. That market is insane in the Smoky Mountains. And then like two months later, I think on our 10th offer, we closed on like this $600,000 three bedroom, three bath in the Great Smoky Mountains that is printing money today. I'm very happy with it because it's exceeding our revenue expectation or our cash on cash return expectations and revenue expectations thus far. So that's kind of how I got into the next thing. The reason why I tell that story is because I want to see, like, I want people to legitimately know how, like, from A to Z, how I went from, like, you know, just a simple house hack to partnering with someone on, like, a luxury Airbnb at a such expensive price point was it was just playing on persistence. I was just going to make it happen. I never, like, had a thought where I was like, man, like, maybe I need to look into buying, like, a, another house hack next year. I was like, I'm going to do this thing. So that's kind of, like, the mentality I feel like you have to have, especially as a real estate investor. And then another mindset piece is like, if you can figure out how to buy your second deal now, now it's like, okay, now I think I can figure out how to buy the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the tenth, the hundredth, because you just kind of did that, went that route of out of the box thinking. So I hope that kind of resonates with some people at least. All right. So knowing you, Jabbar, and how you kind of went about the house hack, you had the list down to the clothes that your buddy was going to wear when he was showing the property. I'm sure you probably had a similar process, like what you could bring to the table for this Airbnb. So for those who are looking to get into short-term rentals, because it seems like the cash on cash return, just how much you can make is so much higher than it is in the long-term rental market in certain areas anyway. How did you kind of go about, you know, building the SOPs, the standard operating procedures for this Airbnb? Like, how did you know what to do? How did you get the cleaners? How did you get the leases and the place furnished and all the stuff that goes into running a full Airbnb business? It just kind of came from like, Leveraged other people, right, who had done it before. So I was just following their processes. And that's the great thing about real estate is you're just able to just follow. I mean, you can be the pioneer. That's cool. But you can just follow what other people have done. So I did all that groundwork before I was even looking for someone to partner. So I had like that list and checklist of like, hey, these are the cleaners I'm going to be using. This is like the handyman I'm going to need. This is the plumber. So I had that checklist and then like the technology behind it. I mean, I didn't know how to do it, but I knew which ones I was going to use and which ones I needed. Furnishing the place, the place comes usually fully furnished. So, I mean, it was a little bit of like, you know, replacing the old stuff. But for the most part, I was just following what the old like the core pattern was because most of it was pretty good. 
Yeah, just like the operations behind managing an Airbnb, I'd say you just have to understand and fight the battle of learning that asset class because it is different from doing a long-term lease. But once you have your technology in place, it's not as much work as a lot of people think it is. I do want to dig a little bit deeper just for a second on the physical stuff, like finding contractors. I can't imagine you're going to that property too often and checking it out. Like, If something goes wrong, you can't just expect an Airbnb person to say, oh, yeah, like you need to fix this. Like this plumbing thing is going to explode next week or it's not the same person. It's not like a tenant you've developed a relationship with. It could be people just spending the weekend. Maybe they don't notice things going wrong. And then, you know, obviously you need people to fix it, but it's kind of hard to trust people if you've never met them before and you can't go and maybe assess the work that they've done. So I'm wondering how it works from like people physically going in there, contractors, fixing things up type of, you know, that type of stuff. That's the interesting piece is like there is a some level of trust, especially because I'm self-managing this thing from like a distance because it's in Tennessee. and I'm in Georgia. So one thing that I did leverage like highly was referrals. So, I mean, I'm in the Facebook groups and there's a bunch of Facebook groups. They're usually in every market. And it's like cleaners in the Smokies, handyman in the Smokies, maintenance people in the Smokies. So, I mean, I was just vetting them and then getting referrals from them and asking them about how they've done it. And then another tip I have is like for getting a cleaner is if you go on VRBO and you just start, you can reach out to a bunch of people who have like great cleaning reviews. If you see like a bunch of people mentioning how clean the place is and you just ask them, if you ask a hundred of them, you can pay a VA $30 to do this. Like maybe 10 of them will come back to you, like maybe with good contact information. And then you kind of go down that list. And those ones are probably going to be really good because you've already seen their work because the great thing about Airbnb is it's like a constant positive and negative feedback loop. The guests will let you know when something is not right. They love to complain. And they'll let you know in the review when something's actually good, when it's great. So that is a good tip for finding cleaners. And contractors, I would say you kind of just kiss a bunch of frogs. So there's a lot of like small little jobs that you have to do. And I couldn't like vet their work, but I could kind of get referrals from people I trusted who they've done work for and kind of leverage, just trust in that. So there's less, I guess... I haven't met every single contractor that I've called, but I've never had an issue with just calling my list of vendors that I've gotten from referrals of people who've used them before and getting them to come out there like same day to take care of an issue. Because definitely things need to get taken care of like (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Definitely. Sounds like the name of the game is referrals and networking and just building those connections and those relationships. But Jabbar, I... I'm upset. We're going to have to have you back on, but we're running out of time here and want to ask where the best place is for people to keep in contact with you and follow on your journey and see all the amazing deals and things that you're going to be doing in the decades to come. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there at Jabbar underscore Investar. So it's J-A-B-B-A-R underscore Investar. That on Instagram and TikTok, and then Jabbar Adesada on Sheik's Freaks and Facebook. Awesome, man. Well, we'll link all that up in the show notes so people don't have to remember all those different handles. And just want to say thank you again so much for coming on. It was a pleasure meeting you and Sheik's Freaks. I'm really glad that I did that talk. I still keep in contact with a couple of you guys today. And you are one of the few people, Jabbar, that makes me feel like an old, retired financially independence person like i hit fi at 25 and you're talking about hitting fi at 21 like you make me feel old which is a rarity in this space so just want to really thank you for coming on man you're going to be an inspiration to so many young people out there military or not who are just looking to get an edge and get into this game so 
Seriously, man, appreciate it a bunch. Thank you so much. It was an honor being on. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.